All right, so from the handout and from the PowerPoint behind me, uh, you can see that our text tonight is Genesis 1, starting in verse 24, and it actually goes through the first couple of verses of, of uh, chapter 2. And just a few more words of introduction. Um, we're kicking off this semester by taking a few weeks, taking four weeks actually to be exact, at the front end to look at the whole storyline of Scripture. And in particular, we're going to be tracing the theme of the image of God, the Imago Dei, through the four parts of the story of the Bible. And, and the reason that we're doing this is to see what the gospel or what the good news of Christianity is all about. As one pastor scholar puts it, Christianity is an apprenticeship with Jesus toward recovering our humanity. I just love that. Christianity is an apprenticeship with Jesus toward recovering our humanity and through his spirit helping our neighbors do the same. That's what I hope we grasp these first four weeks of the semester. And that's what I hope that we see even tonight as we look at um, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, since, we're, uh, since we're here in Genesis 1, um, it's, it's a great place to start right at the beginning. And so I'll read... I'll read this text out loud. You can follow along with me on the, on the screen or on your handout, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. So let's give our attention to God's, God's word tonight, starting in Genesis 1, verse 24. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us together tonight. We know, or you know, that we all come from different places, different places emotionally, different places spiritually, even even different places physically, Lord. Um, some of us are 
are pretty tired here, even just at the front end of the second week of the semester. Um, Lord, for all of us, would you meet us where we're at uh, with your grace? And would you minister to us by your Spirit and make us open and receptive uh, to your word? We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had this longing, this longing to go somewhere that you've only read about in a book or seen in a movie, some far-off land that maybe seemed just a little bit too good to be true? Maybe when you were six years old and you were basically living for Halloween and all the free candy, maybe that place was Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory to go to Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory with the gobstoppers and everything. Or maybe in in high school, when you first discovered romantic love and affection, maybe you longed to live in that bucolic coastal town in New Bern, where every Nicholas Sparks movie (laughs) is based, where everyone's romantic dreams do come true. Or maybe... Maybe you're 31 and you're dying to go to Disney World, not for the sake of your two toddler girls, but because Star Wars Galaxy Edge (laughs) opened last Thursday on your birthday and all the wonders of the Force await you there. Have you ever had that feeling? A yearning for some far-off place that's almost too good to be true. Do you know there's a word for that? There's a word for that yearning? It's not in English. It's in German. Got to leave it to the Germans, right? And the word is this. The word is Sehnsucht. Repeat after me. Sehnsucht. Sehnsucht. You all know German now. That's great. Uh, As a colleague of mine, the the, the RUF campus minister at Vanderbilt, Richie Sessions, as he puts it, this word Sehnsucht is rich with emotional and imaginative associations. Then he quotes the poet Matthew Arnold who says, it's a wistful, soft, tearful longing. And I love I love the examples that Richie gives of Zainzucht. He says, a glossy purple starling. I had to look that up. I didn't know what a purple starling was. But after Googling it, it's the most gloriously beautiful purple bird. It's amazing. Google it. Uh, look, look it up. It's, it's incredible. A glossy purple starling, the smell of a gardenia, the green gold of magnolia, filled with Zainzuk. And then this is the example that really got me. Season three of Stranger Things. Absolutely filled with Zainzuk. It's perfect. None of us grew up in the 80s, not even me. I didn't grow up in the 80s. Born in the 80s, but didn't grow up in it. But who doesn't want to go to Hawkins, Indiana, right, in the 80s? with all that hair and all the fashion, and there are good guys, and there are bad guys, like the Soviets, you're fighting the Soviets, and there are monsters, and there are heroes, and there's the Starcourt Mall with all the neon lights, and, and all the, all the music, and all the, all the ice cream of, of season three of Stranger Things. It's filled with Zainzucht, and so is the Garden of Eden. The biblical account of creation that we just read about, just a little bit about, is absolutely filled with Zainzuk. 
In, for, in fact, the first two chapters of Genesis, which are the first two chapters of the whole Bible, they help give expression to these longings that we have. They give us a vocabulary and categories we can use to describe our deep yearnings. And not only that, they actually feed those longings. They affirm them and they feed them for, for that far-off land that maybe seems a little bit too good to be true. And so here's what I want us to see tonight. I want us to, to look at what we do with these longings, and I want us to see that, that what we do with these longings is actually tied to how we approach the creation account that the Bible gives us. And so I want us to, to look at mainly the three approaches that we all take to the Bible in general, but also to Genesis 1 and 2 specifically, and to see where those approaches lead us. And so we're going to look at the approach of ignoring the, the biblical story of creation, of isolating it, and I'll talk a little bit more about what I mean by that, but then also inhabiting it. So let's, let's start with that first approach, to ignore the creation story found in the Bible. Now, something you should know about me, I've been trying to get back into rock climbing. Uh, Amanda and I watched Free Solo a couple weeks ago. Um, I joined Cliffhangers up in Mooresville. Um, been doing a, a bunch of rock climbing since then, and, and it reminded me, as I've been getting into it, it reminded me that, that when you're bouldering or when you're doing top rope or lead climbing, it's not good to miss a hold. A hold is one of those, you know, rocks on the, those plastic rocks on the wall. It's not good to miss a hold, especially if it's a big one. You want to go after those big holds because you're not going to, you're not going to fall off. But it's easy to do. They're easy to miss. Either you never see it to begin with and so you miss it, or you see it, but you don't really think it's that important. It's not part, it's not going to help you get to where you're going. And so you just jump over it. You ignore it. You, you skip over it. And the danger is, Whoever designed the route that you're going up or the bouldering problem that you're trying to, trying to solve may have put that hold there, a hold there, as an integral part such that if you miss it, you make that route much more difficult to complete and you increase your chances of falling off. When it comes to reading and understanding the story of Scripture, my hunch is that a lot of us miss the first major hold. Whether because we never saw it, maybe we just didn't grow up with Scripture, didn't grow up reading the Bible, or we ignore it because uh, we think there are other more important holds to get to. And so we just jump over creation and go straight to the fall or redemption. And we'll talk more about what those words mean and what those chapters are later. But that's my hunch, that we kind of skip over creation. And the question is, what do we miss out on if we ignore the Bible's account of creation? And I hope what, we've, what we see just looking at this passage is that we miss out on a lot. I mean, for starters, we miss out on learning humanity's place in the cosmos, what our true place in all of creation is. I mean, look with me at verse 26 of chapter 1. I mean, right there, we see God saying, let us make man, or mankind, humanity, in our image, after our likeness. And so right there, right at the start, we see that, that humanity at its core is filled with dignity. We're made in God's image. God uh, makes us in his likeness and then lets us have dominion over all the creatures, all the animals that he has made. 
it's, it's a position of incredible dignity and honor. We have the privilege of giving names to all the animals. And not only that, as we keep reading the creation account, we see that, that, that God, in verse 28, blesses humanity. And then, not only that, we see that we've, we've been given this calling, this vocation, to, in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it. Because God wants his image bearers to cover the entire face of the earth. As we represent him, he wants his image all over the creation that he's made. So we're filled with dignity. We're given this incredibly dignified calling and vocation. And yet, at the same time, we're also marked by humility. We're still creatures of the sixth day. God still made Adam and Eve the same day that he made all the other beasts of the field and the birds of the air, which is humbling. And then as you read on in, in chapter 2, you see that, that we're actually made of dust, that we are made of dust. Not only that, if we, um, if we skip over Genesis 1 and 2, we completely miss the goodness of creation. Did you hear that refrain as I read the passage earlier? God saw that what he made, and it was good. It was good. And then at the end, at the end of the sixth day, he looks at everything he's made, and he says, it was very good. We can't miss that. We can't miss that God's creation is very good. Now, you, you may be sitting here tonight, and you, you may pride yourself in being a compassionate or a sympathetic or a respectful person, and you very well may be that. Um, but if you ignore the Bible's account of creation, you have no grounds for being truly compassionate, sympathetic, and respectful. Because if human beings are not made in God's image, why not lie or steal or cheat or use and abuse? And if creation isn't good and very good, why bother taking care of it? Could it be that the author of Scripture put the hold of creation there to be an integral part along the root of the Bible, such that if we ignore it, it becomes very difficult to get through the rest of the story and see how the biblical story all beautifully holds together? If that sounds a little bit too kind of abstract and meta and philosophical, let's get, let's get a little bit more concrete and personal. Have you ever felt the pressure to be more than human? The pressure to be more than human, maybe, maybe by your parents, your well-meaning parents, but parents who, um, whose desire for you is to succeed and to achieve and to accomplish. Or maybe from professors whose expectations of what a well-written paper is are just kind of like through the roof. Or maybe you feel the pressure to be more than human from your peers. As you look around at a place like Davidson and, and you see friends that, um, seem, that attain that seemingly effortless perfection, they've got that 3.85 GPA, they're the star athlete, not only that, they're the student body president, and to top it all off, last summer, they cured cancer. Maybe you're pressured just by looking around and seeing the accomplishments of your peers. Or, and then th this last one really makes me kind of shudder. Maybe you felt that pressure from a pastor or from the church. 
Maybe you felt that to be a Christian means getting your stuff together or cleaning up your act or being holy and righteous and pious. I'm sure there's not a person here who hasn't felt that pressure at least some point in their lives. And my guess is at a place like Davidson, a lot of you may feel that pressure to be more than human even now. And so the question is, what do you do with that pressure? Do you ignore it? What happens if you do that? It only builds and builds until it completely sucks the life out of you. Do you give in to it? Do you give in to the pressure? If so, then it just completely dominates your life. You become a slave to the expectations of others for you to be perfect and to be more than human. The beauty of the Bible, and especially the Bible's account of creation, is that it gives us the freedom to acknowledge that we are merely human, as well as the courage to fight the temptations to be more than human. A friend of mine recently helped me see this in my own life. That This past summer, um, my family and I, as I mentioned, we moved from Greenville, South Carolina, here to Davidson. And, you know, after we started to feel mostly settled in our new place, before too long, I noticed within me this desire welling up, this desire to hit the ground running, especially with my work as the RUF campus minister. Hit the ground running. I wanted to show up on campus and be, you know, fully funded and operating at full capacity, not miss a beat. And I shared all of this with my friend. And do you know what he said? Some of you have heard this before because I shared it recently, but he looked at me and he said, Andrew, not even Brooks Kepka hits every green. Now, for those of you who are not into golf, Brooks Kepka is the number one golfer in the world. And I'm a golfer. My friend knows that I'm a golfer. He's a golfer. And so he knew that that illustration would really grip me. And here's what that, here's what those words did for me. When he said, Andrew, not even Brooks Kepka hits every green, those words did this. They did. They were like touching the pressure release valve on me and letting off that pressure to be more than human, to be perfect, and I could breathe again. Why? Because those words reminded me that I am merely a human being and That's not just okay, that's good. We see in Genesis 1 and 2 that it's good to be human. So let me ask you this, when are you guys, when are you tempted to believe that you need to be more than human? Is it before a big test that's coming up? Is it before asking someone out on a date? Is it before an interview? Or maybe before a big meet or a big game or a big tournament? When are you tempted to believe you have to be more than human. When those thoughts arise, remind yourself of this. Jesus doesn't call you to be more than human. Jesus calls you to be more human. Jesus doesn't call you to be more than human. He calls you to be more human. And so those voices that are calling you to make sure that you've got it all together that you need to be Superman, no matter, no matter where they're coming from, they're not the voice of Jesus. They're the voice of someone else. 
Jesus calls us to, to acknowledge that because he's got it all together, we don't have to have it all together. Because he's always in control of everything, we don't always have to be in control of everything. We're free to not have to hit every green, or to sink every three, or to ace every test, or to crush every interview. We're free to be human. Imagine the kind of people that we'd become, or we'd be, if we embraced that truth more and more. I think we'd be less anxious, especially over our performance. I think we'd be more generous, especially with our time. I think we'd probably be more joyful and content, even in the midst of some really hard stuff. And I think we'd be more honest about our hardships and struggles, um, and more compassionate towards others and their struggles as well. All of that is what we miss out on if we just skip over and ignore the good news of creation. That's what happens if we ignore it, but what happens if we isolate it? And by that I mean what happens if we take this story of creation, this is our second point, and just isolate it and fix, fixate it on it and, and never move past it? Okay, quick show of hands. How many of you have read or watched The Lord of the Rings? Okay, it's good to know this is still somewhat culturally relevant. That's awesome. Imagine that you that you're reading Lord of the Rings or that you're watching it and you absolutely love Tolkien's depiction of the Shire. It's beautiful. You love the hobbits, the hobbit holes, the 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 rolling green hills, the, the just the picturesque scenery. You love even the fact that they have long bottom leaf and that they celebrate 111th birthdays. Um, you love it so much that you actually stop reading the books and watching the movies before Frodo and Sam ever leave the Shire. What happens if you stop there before the adventure truly begins? It actually cheapens the beauty and the glory of the Shire. Because you need to keep reading to see everything it cost the heroes to preserve the Shire. The same is true of the biblical storyline. We need to read Genesis in light of the whole because then and only then do we get to truly appreciate its beauty, the beauty of the Garden of Eden. And when we do that, it becomes more, not less believable, more, not less glorious. It becomes weightier. It speaks deeper to our souls and captures more of our imagination and attention. That's the reason why jewelers, they put diamonds in front of a black velvet backdrop. It's so that we see more of the diamond's radiance and beauty and sparkle and not less. We're going to get into this more in the weeks to come, but we need to read the radiance and the beauty of creation in light of the black backdrop of humanity's sin and rebellion against God, which is called the fall, as well as in light of Jesus's redemption of all things. And this actually brings us to our last point. So instead of ignoring what the Bible has to say about creation or isolating it and fixating it on, on reading it in isolation, we actually need to inhabit it. Because Genesis is not a textbook or a how-to manual. It's not even primarily this theological treatise on the length of days, but it's this poetic literary masterpiece. Whatever you believe about Jesus, you at least have to grant it that. 
it is a literary poetic masterpiece. And being that, we need to enter into the story, look around, and take in the scenery. What was the first 3D movie you guys ever saw? Mine was Avatar, which is basically James Cameron's really, really expensive version of Pocahontas. I think it maybe is like the top grossing movie of all time still. I don't know. Spider-Man might have passed it. Um, maybe for you it was like a Marvel movie or Jurassic World or Gravity. But, but whatever the movie, remember that experience. Remember, you, you, you put on the 3D lenses, you look around, and you're instantly in another world. Everything is just more vibrant. Stuff's jumping out at you. You're immersed. Your disbelief is sufficiently suspended. And you're in another world. What do we see when we inhabit the world of Genesis 1 and 2? When we get into the story and look around, we look around and we see everything is as it should be. There's no cancer. There's no violence. This is a world that does not need Black Lives Matter or Me Too because everyone recognizes the perfect dignity in one another. It's a world without bigotry or racism. No sin, no shame. Not only that, we look around and we see God himself stooping down, lowering himself to the ground to make man out of the dust. He gets his hands dirty. We see God walking around and talking with Adam and Eve. We see God delighting in his creation. Um, we didn't read this verse, but in Genesis 2, verse 22, after God makes Eve out of Adam, we see him portrayed as this doting father, giving his daughter Eve to Adam as a father gives away his, the bride to the groom. That's the picture that we see. We see this glorious, wonderful world, a good world, the world as it should be. But in a 3D movie, what happens if you take those special lenses off? Everything immediately becomes blurry, right? You can't make out the images. You lose focus. You don't get to enjoy the movie as the director intended for you to enjoy it. Like a 3D movie, when we read the creation account, we need a certain set of lenses to keep everything in perspective, to read the story as the author intended it. And as we keep reading the Bible and get to the New Testament in general, and get to the Gospels in particular, we see that those special set of lenses are the lenses of Jesus Christ. We see that we have to read Genesis in light of Jesus, because Genesis is ultimately about him. This is exactly what Jesus says in John 5. I won't, I won't read all of it, but in John 5, he's, he's um, talking with the religious leaders of his, of his day, um, those who would, who would challenge him, challenge uh, his claims to, to divinity. And he, tell, he tells them, look, you guys search the scriptures because you think that you have eternal life in them. But little do you know that they are about me. And he goes on to say, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. There's Jesus saying that Moses wrote about Jesus. The author of Genesis wrote about Jesus. Another example in Luke 24, the resurrected Jesus is is walking on the road and he meets two disciples. They don't recognize him. 
they're really sad. They they thought that that Jesus would redeem Israel, but then he's just been crucified. And so they're depressed. And Jesus comes up to them and says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then here's the, here's the key verse. Luke, the narrator, he slows the story down. He, he steps in and says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus is the key to understanding all of Scripture. It's all about Him. It doesn't make sense without Him. And so what does it look like to put on the lens of Christ and inhabit the creation account? Simply put, it looks like recognizing that Jesus is the Lord of all creation. That He was there at the beginning of the world. That He was there when He made Adam and Eve. It's exactly what passages like John 1 and Colossians 1 tell us explicitly, John 1, all things were made through him, speaking of the word Jesus. Colossians 1, all things were created through him and for him. And then here's the really mind-blowing verse, Romans 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. All things things are to Christ. And so before we close tonight, I just want us to consider, just consider the practical impact of truly inhabiting the biblical account of creation, of actually getting in there and viewing it through the lens of Christ. It changes your perspective on your work and on your studies. You recognize that being a student at Davidson is a good calling, but it's not ultimate. It doesn't define you. And so we can rest from our work just as God rested from his work on the seventh day. It's not all-consuming. God actually steps outside of his work to distinguish himself from his work. Or consider how it shapes our relationships, especially with difficult people, the perpetually messy roommate, the socially awkward classmate. We remember that, that their worth isn't found in their cleanliness, or in their ability to navigate social circles, their, their worth is found in the image of God in them, that they are made with dignity and respect, and so we can respect them. Or just consider how this shapes our view of ministry. I mean, Genesis 1 and 2 reminds us to, to view people not as projects, but as people, and to treat everyone with, with honor and care and respect and not to use people. Okay, so we began tonight by talking about Zainzucht. I hope you all remember that word as you leave here tonight. You can tell your parents that you learned some German at RUF. They'll wonder what in the world are you talking about. Um, And we we began by saying that every human being has this deep, wistful longing for that far-off land that almost feels too good to be true. And then we asked, what do we do with these longings? And what I hope that we realize is that If we ignore Genesis 1 and 2, then those longings have nowhere to go. That they're they're only left to wither and dry up and shrivel up. But if we isolate Genesis 1 and 2 and fixate it, our longings are too easily placated. They're given simple pat answers to what is ultimately a really complex problem. 
And so our longings are kind of numbed, numbed to sleep. But if we inhabit Genesis 1 and 2, we find that our longings actually grow and thrive because we're, we're given the freedom to wonder and to hope. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, we're not just looking for our longings to be affirmed. We actually want them to be fulfilled. And so we can look to Genesis 1 and 2 to affirm our longings, but we need to look to Jesus to fulfill them. And so the more that we read and study Scripture, the more that we long for Eden, the more that we realize we can't go back, we can't create the beautiful world we once lived in, we can't go back to Eden, that's true. But the good news of the gospel is that in Jesus, Eden has come to us. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus is able to bring Eden to us and to recreate the beautiful world we once lived in, that we all have a distant memory of, because he's the Lord of all creation. He's the God who created all things. So are you hungry and thirsty not for Willy Wonka's candy, but for truly nourishing food and drink that will last forever and satisfy you completely? Jesus is the true bread from heaven. And the water that he offers us will quench our deepest thirst. Are you looking for love that will completely turn your world upside down and satisfy your deepest needs for acceptance and belonging? Only the perfect love of Christ can do that. Are you searching for this whole new world? Shining, simmering, splendid, not simmering, shimmering. That'd be a weird world. Um, but are you looking for that far-off world where everything is as it should be? No corruption, no suspicion, no cancer, no death, no sadness. Where peace and shalom and life flourish. Don't look to the Millennium Falcon to take you there. Don't look to the magic carpet to take you there. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we do thank you for being Lord of all creation. Lord, all things are from you and through you and to you. And so, would you let that sink in? Would you transform even our thoughts, even our emotions, uh, based on that good news? Um, help us to see our work as a blessing. Um, but also help us to be able to rest from our work. Lord, help us to uh, view your world um, as you would have us to view it, and help us to be good stewards. And Lord, um, help us to continually come back to you to, to find uh, what we so desperately long for, uh, knowing that you ultimately are the only one who can satisfy our longings. Would you do this by the power of your word and by the power of your spirit? We pray all of this in your name. Amen.